0: Please have control of your money. Please be in there, because if you don't, the research is clear: when that money comes back to you and is mentioned, it will, whether you want it to or not. Often, it comes back to you in the worst week of your life. And when that comes back to you, if you have not been involved, seventy-four percent of women have a negative surprise. So, do not outsource it to him or to her in your relationship. Please.
1: Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurial League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th and so does our experience week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our experience week. This will be a five-day virtual event series and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perell, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneur as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entreprenista League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at slash Experience Week. That's slash Experience Week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey. Sally Kraczek is a Wall Street trailblazer with more than 25 years in the financial services industry after leading Merrill Lynch, Smith Barney, and City Private as CEO. In 2014, Sally founded Elevest a company aimed to make investing more accessible for women. After raising over $144 million in venture capital, she is continuing to blaze her path forward. Elevest is now a financial company built by women for women, and its goal is to get more money in the hands of women by closing the gender money gaps. Get ready to hear why Sally believes that nothing bad happens when women have more money. Coming up, Here's Sally's shocking stories from Wall Street as a female employee in the 80s. Sally explains what beliefs she needed to tackle before starting Elevest. You'll hear the hardest decisions Sally had to make for the success of her company. And finally, her learning lessons after a failed product launch. This is the Entrepreneista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Sally, we are so thrilled to have this conversation with you this afternoon Did you always know when you were growing up that you wanted to ultimately have your
0: own business one day? No. I I tell people, I knew when I was growing up, I wanted to be a princess, (laughs) or a member of a band. Which princess? Oh, any of them. Princess Sally. (laughs) The band thing didn't work out because, and this is the truth, I was the only kid in the fifth grade who did not make League Club which you you think they could have said you can make it just mouth. But so the band thing wasn't going to work out either. So I went to Wall Street and then later became an entrepreneur instead.
2: How did you decide you wanted a career in Wall Street? Going from wanting to be a princess to Wall Street seems like a big pivot.
0: (laughs) It's a pretty, pretty long path. I'll tell you how it was. When I graduated from college, it was the late 80s. And at the time, Wall Street was what Silicon Valley is now. And so if you wanted to have a big career, go, 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 you know, sort of bright lights, big city, you went to New York and you went to Wall Street. And by the way, I was a journalism major, so I was not headed for it at all. But at the same time, journalism jobs were paying, I think, $12,000 a year and Wall Street jobs were paying $32,000 a year. So I thought, I'll go to Wall Street, see if I can make it just for fun make some extra money. And then I can always go back into journalism, which of course I never did. What was your path when you got into finance? Well, my 20s were terrible. And for anyone out there who's listening in their 20s, career-wise, it was a disaster. I hated Wall Street. I hated investment banking. There was no unconscious bias at the time. It was conscious. It was, you do not belong here. You are a woman this is a man's world. I had copies of male genitalia, Xerox copies left on my desk. It wasn't subtle. It was overt. And I was put on all the bad teams and all the bad deals. And so I went to business school with a view of getting back into media and journalism. I got a summer internship at Time Magazine. They had two of us there. They had one full-time job and I did not get it. And so then I ended up graduating and went back to Wall Street because it's the only place I could, oh, I got a job offer at Disney, but it was in L.A. And my husband at the time said, we're not moving to L.A. What he did not say was, and I'm having an affair with your friend, which would have been super, super useful information before I went back to Wall Street. So then I left him, I would quit the job. So I didn't remember what the question was anymore, but my 20s were a disaster. And I only later found my way after recognizing what I didn't like, but also what I did. What I did. I loved the smart people, I loved the analytics, I loved writing, and found a way as a research analyst in my 30s to put that together, going on then to run companies like Merrill Lynch and at the time Smith Barney.
2: At what moment in your career did you have the idea for what is now Elvest?
0: It was after running some large wealth management companies and going to work every day and knowing but not thinking deeply about, boy, there are a lot of men. There are a lot of men here in the office. It's mostly men. I am one of the very few women. I was the senior woman at the time. You know, there are a lot of men clients. And by the way, When the men die, as men do, because women live longer than men, and she gets the money, she leaps about 80% of the time. And I thought, as the whole industry thought, it's her fault. She's risk averse. She's not good at math. She doesn't like investing. She's too nervous. She needs more financial education. It was only after leaving the big Wall Street firms when I could catch my breath and reflect that I thought, wait a second. You know, is it really that she's risk averse? Is it really something wrong with her? Or is it that an industry of men built a business for men? And oh, wait a second, this is costing women hundreds of thousands for some millions over the course of their lives because they're putting the money in the bank, not earning a return on it, or not much of a return, not an inflation-beating return, whereas men are investing and they're building wealth. And investing has been the scalable means accessible and scalable means to build wealth over time. We can talk about that if you want. There are reasons for it, but women aren't doing it as much as men do. It's not, doesn't take any time. We're working as hard as we can in the workplace or with our startups. We're putting in the extra hours. We're going the extra mile, but we never took the time to invest. And there's something fundamental here. And so we said, well, what if we found Ellevest, which will be the only investing in financial guidance business that centers women? And find out what we can deliver to them and serve up to them to get them to help them invest. And P.S. Again, it wasn't their risk averse. One insight, they're risk aware. What? What's the difference? Risk averse means you don't wanna take risk. Risk aware means you're willing to take it if you understand it. And you need to understand it first. And we have a thousand little insights like that, of a thousand little paper cuts that have kept women from investing and from stepping into their full power. So it was when I had that recognition that I thought, you know, given I've been so fortunate in my career and I have the know-how and I can pull together the team, I'd better found something like L of S because for women who build wealth, it's simply life-changing.
1: What were some of the first steps that you took when you decided to go full steam ahead and focus on building this business?
0: Well, the first was getting over my internalized sexism. Because I did have folks before I sort of had the great revelation who said, you know, um, you should build an investing firm for women. And I thought, ah, oh, like, you know, but I played in the varsity. This is the junior varsity. By the way, just last year, I had a woman journalist say to me, it's, you know, oh, it's great that women are building these great businesses like a Bumble, like an LLS that are for women, but when are they going to build real businesses? And I said, that's internalized misogyny right there right? No, it's great that we're building businesses for women. This market is enormous and that they're not viewed as real businesses is really something. So first I had to get over that. Secondly, um, it was a matter of what do we think the solution to this problem is? We know there's a big problem. You know, entrepreneurs talk about, is it a a vitamin you're building or an aspirin? I'm like, ours is like an extra strength Tylenol coating, all over it i mean it's such a such a problem but how do we sketch out what a potential solution is what's the hypothesis you know what's it going to take and then getting some money in the door finding a co-founder who was as different from me as i could find and then going out to people who i knew and raising that seed round to be able to put in what ended up being 2 years of research i mean we weren't kidding around but 2 years of deep research into what would motivate women to invest how did you end up
2: finding your co-founder? A lot of people who listen to our podcast come to us and ask us how to find a co-founder, so I'd love any tips you could share.
0: Courtney, great question. It's so funny. I was I haven't thought about this now in years and I thought about it last night that it was something like 11 introductions. 11, you know, degrees away before the individual and I met and it started with I was on a plane one day and I looked to my right and there was Arthur Levitt. Arthur Levitt is a former chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission. So I looked at him, I said, You're Arthur Levitt. And he looked at me and said, And you are? And I said, Oh my gosh, I'm Sally Grojack and you know, worked on Wall Street. He said, Oh, I forty, but on the plane. He emails me a couple of weeks later, Sally, there's someone I know who I think you'd be interested in meeting. And it was a fellow who had just left Goldman Sachs and the two of us ended up having a cup of coffee and he introduced me to his CEO of a startup he was working on, who introduced me to, who introduced me to, who introduced me to. And this wasn't, you know, gee, I'm going to find a co-founder. How do I get there? This was, I'm looking at this next phase of my career and looking to meet people who I should know, who I can be helpful to, and they can be helpful to me. It was 11 different intros before, out of the blue, a joint a, a fellow who I would met in this chain of events said, I have someone who's just left, his serial entrepreneur has just left the startup that he was working on, looking for his next thing. Could the two of you, you know, should the two of you get together? And I was actually, so I was going to go without a co-founder, and i was so disinterested that i'm like well i'm happy to meet him if he comes like to the coffee shop less than a block from my home you know and when we sat down i thought you know this is interesting because i can find the top chief investment officer in the country and i did i can find you know on the marketing side and the community building i think that's going to be important you know i know how to do that i d- really would not be able to find a fintech chief technology officer i wouldn't know where to go i'll be honest with you at the time A product manager, what does one of those do? Because I've been on old Wall Street. What Designer, is that, boy, come on, do we need a designer? I mean, isn't that going to be like, is it blue or is it green? I mean, come on, you know, I knew nothing, right? And the people that we ended up finding together, you know, are the people who really built such a strong foundation for Elevest. And your
1: brand is beautiful and truly does speak to and and resonate with women coming from someone who's your exact target market. Like when you go to your site and your platform, it really is, you know, it just screams, we're here for women and and we want to help you make a lot of money. Back to your co-founder though. So you mentioned you were not necessarily looking for a co-founder, but then you meet this gentleman who it seems like had opposite skill sets that you had that's something that Courtney and I have talked about for years and especially on this podcast Courtney and I are all about like dividing and conquering not doing you know things that are repetitive together and really focusing on finding people with opposite skill sets so it sounds like you were definitely able to to find that pretty early on but how did the two of you come together to really like structure your roles and responsibilities and decide who would be accountable for different things. And what advice can you share to other co-founders who or founders who have an idea for a business and are looking for that co-founder, they haven't found them yet and how to structure that type of
0: relationship? We had many honest and sometimes difficult conversations, you know, and it started with what's the split of equity between the two of us. Let's get that out of the way before we even start with any of it, because you don't want to spend the whole time and then realize this person's thinking they get 99% and the other person's thinking it's 50-50. But sketching out, you own this, I own that. For us at the time, it was, I'm going to do more, I don't have the tech background, I can find the chief investment officer and did, I'll be involved with that, but I'm going to do a lot of the external stuff as well, fundraising for example, I've got that. Building the brand, I've got that. Building the infrastructure and the technology, you take that. Incorporating the company. You, so it was very much a, here's what has to be done, let's divide it up. But it changed. So if you think about the founding team overall, stepping back from just the co-founder, it's tough to get the team together. I, I don't have to tell y'all and always say, you can't get the great team until you have the money, but you can't get the money until you have the great team. And so there's this Juggling act where you've got people still at full time jobs and wink, wink, and if we do, you know, and don't tell anybody I'm tired, you know, the whole like dance that happens. But once I was fortunate enough because our seed race happened pretty quickly. And so we were able to get those folks in there. What nobody warned me about all the it's going to be hard and building the product is going to be hard and blah, 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 blah. What nobody warned me is you're off to the races and before too long, the CTO who does the first line of code may not be the right CTO for even managing three people. Forget about managing 200 people, but even managing three people, and may not then be the right person to leap from three to 15 is a big leap to 30 is a big leap. The you know head of, you know anything, anything, right? who's right now, it's so interesting. They can be right this week. And two weeks later, all of a sudden, there's sort of a a lack of fit. And so the toughest thing, bar none, that I have done at the startup is saying goodbye to people who were part of that founding group where we had simply scaled through. And and I did all of it like, well, we're going to layer you and no shame in that. And forget it. There's still tears and it's still difficult, probably particularly for all of us, because our mission is get more money in the hands of women. Nobody at Elabest has ever been confused about the mission. And nobody at Elabest has ever been, ah, you know, I could take or leave the mission. And I'm just over here, you know, doing my thing. People are passionate about it. And so when you have those difficult conversations with folks, you know, you've been on this journey together. You have this passionate belief together, you're changing women's lives and to have to either layer them or say goodbye. I wasn't ready for it, to be honest.
2: How did you? prepare for that or get better at that for anyone that's new to firing, letting people go, coming to the conclusion that it's just not working out? Like how now knowing what you know, how much time do you give someone to improve before you just kind of call it and say, okay, maybe this isn't a fit?
0: Well, these are different things. I mean, that's really the issue. So there are people who are underperforming and you have those, you know, very honest conversations about this is where you've fallen short and this is where you need to do better. And here's an example and this is how it affected people. And then here's your performance improvement plan. I've done more of that. I mean, I worked on Wall Street. I've done more of that than I think anybody on the planet, honestly. Scaling through somebody is different because it's you're excellent at this job and I'm waving my hands around listeners, you know, I'm sort of making a box of my hand. And this is the job you were hired for. You're excellent. You're the best in the business. The job has changed. You have not changed. You are not underperforming. The job is different. And you are no longer, you're not the right person for this, essentially, brand new job. Now, you say it like that, it seems to make sense. But still, if you've got folks who are, but, well, why, what can I, how, what can I do better? And it's like, I, sometimes just, You just need someone new, you know, sometimes it's new blood, fresh thinking, and those can be, I don't know that I'm ever going to get better at that, honestly, probably, but, you know, because I care so much about the people who've been on the journey with us as a company that it just, it never gets easy. Courtney and I
1: talk about that all the time too. Running a business, it's like your baby. You become so emotionally invested in absolutely every part of the business and your team and you want to do what's right for everyone and you want to take care of everyone, but it becomes so hard because ultimately the business has to survive. And if the wrong people are in certain roles, it's like you want to keep someone there because you want to, like you care about the person, but the business might not be able to survive and then that affects everyone.
0: Of course. Well, particularly in those early days, you know, I don't have to tell you in those early days, you are three, maybe two, sometimes one mistake away from failure, right? And by the way, you know, I've failed all the time. But depending on the size of the mistake, you are one mistake. You are one, the early days, you're one wrong CTO away from failure, one wrong head of product, one wrong co-founder. And so you just don't have the luxury. And in corporate America, you did. You know, I were, you know, the companies that I ran, I could fill in around people. This one is, God, remember one gentleman who worked for me, so talented, so visionary, so creative. He was terrible in managing people and executing on his vision. I mean terrible. And in a startup world, he would have been fired. He just would have to, because if you don't get stuff done, live to fight another day, in corporate America, I could fill in around him and say, okay, he's really strong here. So let me put, let me give him a CO, you know, a COO type to execute on what he does. But you just don't have the the luxury of that in startup world.
1: What were some of the mistakes you made in the early days of building your company that you can share for others who are starting out now? So maybe they don't make the same mistakes. And what did you learn from them?
0: I made all of them. I think every, every mistake that was available to me to make, I for sure made them, but you're going to, you know, you're going to hire the wrong people, even if you're very good at hiring, what do they say? The best managers get, you know, get it right in hiring 50% of the time, maybe 60% of the time. The, you know, I have, I will tell everybody, I, I don't know how to interview anybody. I'm, I'm as good as anybody else, but you interview someone. You try to get to the core of it. You try to ask the evidence-based questions, the how did you deal with this? I don't know. And then, you know, they're at the company within the space of a week, you know, if they're going to be successful or not. But it's not fair to ask somebody to start before, you know, they have a job. So, you know, you're going to make the hiring mistakes. You're going to be too slow on taking action on people. I do always say that I, I think, you know, I've been doing this long enough that if I think this person is not going to work out, It's true. You know, out of the thousands of people I've worked with, the 99.9% of the time, you think that it's true. Every once in a while, someone will pull it back together with coaching, but so it's hiring incorrectly. It's waiting too long to, to fire people. You know, the other thing, which I don't even know if I could do differently if I needed to is, you know, if you're raising outside money, sometimes you do things with the business that you wouldn't want to do, and then maybe you shouldn't do because that's what the source of the money wants you to do. So, an okay. example at Alabest, we launched a banking service. You know, it, at the time that we did it, outside money was this is the hot place to be. In order to get funded, you need to do it. This is the growth story we need. So and so is doing, it, and so and so is doing, it, and so and so is doing it. And we broke our cardinal rule, which is we really did not listen to our community. We went out and said, would you like a debit card? To which he said, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, sure. Why not? Right? Different than when we did investing, which is, this is, the industry is not working for me. You know, I don't trust the existing investing industry. I feel like I'm being talked down to. I know I need to make more money, you know, like with investing product, it was clear with our financial guidance offering, it is clear with the debit card. It was like, yeah. You know, and she's only saying that because she didn't want to hurt her feelings. And so we launched it and we got about yeah that kind of take up about that yeah, kind of take up you'd expect when someone, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> How quickly
1: did you shut that down and not keep trying to make it happen? If,
0: Probably within 18 months. But of course, we made mistakes when we shut it down. We went to our service providers who gave us very solid advice that if you're going to shut this down. Once you announce it, the risk of fraud goes through the roof for it. And, you know, you, you sort of make yourself a target. So what you need to do is when you say you're going to shut it down, shut it down. Makes all the sense in the world, right? Well, we weren't putting our clientele at the center. And so we ended up, you know, putting out a note. And as of tomorrow, you cannot do this and you cannot do this. And quite rightly, she gave it to us and said that, you know, this is, I mean, essentially, she never used these words, but essentially this is disrespectful. So we made that mistake and we'll never make that mistake again.
1: Up next, Sally shares her secret to fast growth for startups. Hi, entrepreneurs! You know, I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entrepreneurista Agenda, our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other Entreprenistas over at Entreprenista.com forward slash newsletter. That's Entreprenista.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the Entreprenista Agenda.
2: Despite all these mistakes you are doing a lot of things right and you've grown so quickly. What would you say has been, you know, the biggest contributor to your fast growth?
0: Well, thank you for asking that. And we are at 1.71.8 billion of assets under management. Yay. Uh, with Incredible. lots of billions to go. I would say that we were really deeply thoughtful about our offering and as mentioned took the time up front we're able to take the time up front to do the deep research into what keeps her from investing and, and ended up gaining some insights that just were unexpected. So one example, you know, we, we talked about risk and risk tolerance a little bit. So everybody thinks women are risk averse, so that's why they don't invest. We found in the onboarding for an investing capability that if you ask a man his risk tolerance. He knows it's an important question. He doesn't know the answer to it. Nobody does, And but he will take an educated guess and continue to invest, continue on the onboarding process and open an account. For a woman, she says, that seems important. I don't know the answer to it. I'm going to leave now and I'm going to buy a book or do a web search and try to figure out what my risk tolerance is. And she leaves and she never comes back because of course that's sort of an impossible task. So that's the gender difference. It's not she sees a risk question and she's, I, I don't won't take risk, I'm freaking out. She has been, as my friend Reshma Sojani says, boys are taught to be brave in childhood. Girls are taught to be perfect. That's the gender difference. So how do we overcome that, right? And in our onboarding, we did. We don't ask her her risk tolerance. We figure out through learning about her and what her goals are and her earnings characteristics, we figure out how much risk she can, I'm doing air quotes now, can afford. What is the right risk for her? Not that she might think, she you know, theoretically she wants to take on, but how much is appropriate for her to take on if she wants to buy a house in four years, if she wants to retire at the age of 62? How much risk is the right risk, according to us at Alabest to get her to her goals in the significant majority of market environments? And that's the other thing we found. Women are about goals-based investing. They're not as motivated by outperforming this market or watching Kramer on CNBC and trading this stock or even just making money. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But she tends to think, I want to make money in order to, again, start my business or in order to have a family. And so we sort of flipped much of investing on its head that it's not just making money, it's making money in order to. So it was those kind of insights and frankly being women the research tells you and we're seeing it women invest more when their advisors are women there's a trust that is built up by having a set of shared experiences a shared language etc and so we strung together these series of sometimes subtle but awfully important insights to build something that just felt right to her it just you know it did you know you go over to some of the big brokerage firms and At the time, they're getting better, but their websites, the economy, this, and the market, that, and FX, this. And, you know, she came to us and we're like, tell us about you. We don't have to show you how smart we are. We're smart. But tell us about you and we'll help you work through this, you know, work through to investing. For the research that you've done, was it
2: focus groups? Was it buying reports? How did you get all access to all of this information?
0: The answer is no. I am not a fan of focus groups. I have done too many of them when I was at the big companies for too many years to recognize when one person, whoever makes the first comment, that's the way the group goes. And by the way, by the second comment, that's for sure the way the group goes. And if the third person comes in, it's over. And so we instead spent much more time one-on-one and getting out there and all not quite across the kitchen table but across the video table um engaging with her on her money and then a ton of time building prototypes and having her go through them and watch her go through that experience you know and then some of it to be frank is my experience having been in the industry for so long you know the industry reports we didn't have to buy cuz i you know i knew them like the back of my hand but i will say the other thing is That didn't mean that my ideas were always the right ideas or the best ideas. Often I had, I'm a woman, I've been in the business for forever, here's the answer. And thank goodness, everything we tested, everything we tested, because a couple of my early ideas were real clunkers, to be honest.
1: Now, I find in just talking to women and friends over the years that a lot of times women feel that they don't have enough money to start investing yet. And that can be a big reason why, you know, later on, once they do have money, they haven't initially started investing from, you know, many years ago to to really get in and to start learning. Is that something that you have seen as well? And what are the different products and solutions that Elevest has available for women at All different
0: stages of their investing journey, so they think that because they historically have been correct, that you know there were investing minimums, whether those were two hundred and fifty thousand dollars at a big Wall Street firm or you know several thousand dollars at one of the startups. There were investing minimums and reasons for them, but you couldn't trade and you know trade whole shares, not fractional. And these investing minimums, nobody meant for them to be were sexist and racist, right? Because the the people who had the money. Were the white men, not individuals who are in underrepresented classes. So I'm happy to tell you that at LBS we have no investing minimum. And one can invest, you know, a handful of dollars. Always say, I can't give you a diversified investment portfolio for a dollar. I can for, you know, I can't remember if the number is $10 or $100, but we can invest for you. And we really work to be there for her whole life. So it can start with that digital experience, which is what we originally were. Some people call it robo. I don't love it. Um, our digital experience, our algorithm is the only one that takes gender into account. Why Money's gender neutral. Why does that matter? Oh, I'll tell you why it matters. Because women earn less, take more career breaks, our salaries peak sooner, and we live longer. Oh, gender is super important because if it thinks you're a little, you know, a pint-sized man, you risk running out of money. You certainly risk having a less full life in those later years. We then graduate her to financial guidance. We got a lot of demand from, I'm investing. Can you help me with a budget? I'm going through a divorce. Can you help me get through that? I'm about to get married. Can you counsel my spouse and myself on this? You know, I've had an inheritance. And so providing financial guidance and as she builds her wealth, getting her a full-time financial advisor, one who, you know, has lots of experience dealing with successful women, Along the way, there is the opportunity to invest for impact. I love investing for impact. I never want to give up financial returns, but boy, if I can know that my money is going to support other women or to improve the environment, to cut carbon emissions, sign me up, sign me up. You know, this has become a little bit of a controversial area, but for no good reason, because there is no reason you can't have a positive impact on the world with your money, as well as earn financial returns. So we really are there for her over the course of her lives. Our youngest client is 18. And, you know, our oldest is, is uh, I think we had one once who was more than 100. So let's just say we are there for her over the course of her life.
2: Are you finding that your customer base is single women or a mix of because I would wonder if you're married what's Elvest's approach to that are you counseling just the woman or the family
0: yeah funny you should say that because I get this a lot so we have healthy double digit percents of our clients are married and healthy double digit percents you know are single and a good chunk is divorced a good chunk is is widowed so it's really across the different relationship statuses statuses or stati. I think, you know, but statuses, you know, and it's across the age demographics as well. We, even if only single women were to engage with Elevest, okay, because women are getting married to a lower, lesser degree. Women are getting married later. And at the end of our lives, 80% of women die single. In fact, overall, 90% of women manage their money on their own at some point in their lives. So what we urge women, regardless of your relationship status, Please have control of your money. Please be in there. Because if you don't, the research is clear. When that money comes back to you, and as mentioned, it will, whether you want it to or not, whether you want it to or not, often it comes back to you in the worst week of your life, right? Either he passed away or you're getting divorced. And when that comes back to you, if you have not been involved, 74% of women have a negative surprise. 74, not 20, not 50 74 and 98% of widows and divorcees say the number one piece of advice they give other women is stay involved with the money. So we do offer financial guidance for couples. We do in our private wealth offering have joint accounts. Regardless, do not outsource it to him or to her in your relationship, please.
1: Yes, yes. And yes, it is so important to know where your money is, be the one making the decisions and investing that money with people who can help you do the right thing and have full transparency of where that money is because
0: it's very important. For sure. The the problem, we, we get this question more than you might imagine in this day and age, but we hear a lot. I've been married for two months, two years, 20 years. 40 years, he is always taking care of the money. How do I get myself in there? You know, because the you know, we we sort of have this division of labor, and money is is a funny thing because money is power and money is your hopes and dreams, and money is your future, and it's not just money. And if I try to get in there now, is he gonna think I want to divorce him? Is he gonna think I'm not doing a good job? You know, the 74%. You know, number percent I gave you of women who have a negative surprise. I think often of the women who are left, oh, I don't have as much money as I thought. You know, you feel bad for her. You should feel bad for him too, because on the other side of that is a man who, for whom society is messaging, you need to be the provider. You need to take care of the money. You need to, you know, and he may be there in his shame of it's not as much money as she thought because I traded Bitcoin or because I don't make as much money at work as she thought I did. And it's just toxic, you know, without sharing it, it's toxic on both sides. In fact, the less a couple talks about money, the unhappier they are. And the more a couple talks about money, the happier they are. But it can be breaking that down if you're back, you know, if you're you're in those old gender roles.
1: Coming up, get ready to hear about Ella Vest's winning marketing strategy. Hey, Entreprenistas, Stephanie here. Dressing up while working from home has truly been a challenge, but guess what? I found a solution founded by a fellow Entreprenista. It's Armoire. You can rent stylish clothes weekly or monthly right from the app. You'll spend less time shopping and you can get up to 50% off of your first month plus two bonus items. Just use the code Entreprenista at checkout or visit armoire.style forward slash entreprenista to claim your offer. Look and feel your best with Armoire. I know I do. That's armoire.style forward slash entreprenista. How have you gone about getting these messages out and marketing communications and getting women on board on the Elvis train?
0: Talking about it a lot. <laughs> like a lot. But this is where you know, having, I started out with a pretty solid LinkedIn following from my prior life. And so sharing a lot of um, financial education there, then f- as a company, really spending a lot of time on Instagram with short burst of financial education. So bite-sized nuggets, insights, etc., cetera, that then help drive people to our newsletter, which we publish every other week, often with a column by me which attaches to our magazine, which is a page on you know, pages on our website, which probably is the largest collection of articles about women and money that exist. At the same time, as part of one's relationship with Alabest, if one has, you know, sort of a membership with us, in addition to investing, we provide all kinds of workshops, all kinds of worksheets, email courses. So you know, how do you like your financial education? Do you like it on Instagram or do you prefer a workshop? You know, are you better visually or do you want to be on Zoom? And finding her at all those different points, but everything with a brand voice that I sort of think of is if your older sister worked on Wall Street or in the investing industry and she came home for Thanksgiving or the two of you met for Thanksgiving, and you're, you've finished up the, the turkey dinner, and you're having a little bit too much wine and you start to ask her questions, you know, what comes out of her mouth? And that's sort of the, in between the old serious providers of financial education, you know, and the, the fin you know, somewhere in between there with, re, you know, tremendous substances where Alavest rests, with, of course, the solutions as well which is often investing.
2: A lot of people in our community are curious about raising money, if it's right for them. And you grew up on Wall Street. You had that background when you started this company. But for someone that doesn't have those connections or that know-how, what advice would you give them?
0: So it's horrible. So I was, I was really lucky because I had those connections. So our seed round was a breeze it got harder after that. Once it was time to go for real institutional money, not friends and family, the stats that you hear that women CEOs get 2% of venture dollars is true. And in fact, over my way in the financial services arena, women get, I think of quote unquote, fintech dollars, one in every 10,000 fintech series B dollar. Um, and it, it feels that way. And what nobody really talks about is go back to the women get 2% of venture money. It means not only do you not raise as much, what people don't really recognize is how friggin' long it takes that for every one productive meeting that a man has where he ends up with a check, women have to have 50. That's just what the math is, which means 50 times more emails and 50 times more models shared and 50 times more decks sent out and 50 times more follow-ups and 50 times more questions and 50 times more really stupid questions and 50 times more really, really, really stupid questions. You're ghosted 50 times as much, which is demoralized. Like it's horrible. It's horrible.
1: How did you get through it? And for women who are raising capital right now, and it's a very challenging time to raise, it's always a challenging time for women to raise capital. It is an extra challenging time right now one of the things you shared was like your seed round was easy because of the relationships and the connections that you had what can we be doing now to like all come together so i mean this is why we have our community the entrepreneurs league so we could all help and network and bring everyone together but any other just advice you can share about
0: building your network and so what worked for us is that rather than going to sand hill road and venture capitalist, whose you know profession is investing money and then convince them of our view of the world. What we did instead was go to people who have our view of the world, then they have to have money, but convince them to invest. It was easier to convince somebody to invest who doesn't than to convince somebody who invests of our view of the world, if that makes sense. So we ended up with our last round bringing in like 700 new investors through a series of special purpose vehicles, which count as one investment on the cap table. And had real champions of Ellevest who reached out to their friends and pulled together these SBBs. So that's how we got around. We sort of found that space between institutional money and crowdfunding. Crowdfunding, by the way, works really well. It doesn't work if you're trying to raise 53 million bucks as we were. So, you know, I think go to people who, with whom you have similar worldviews. The other thing I'm going to say, I know it's obvious, it's warm intros. You know, finding if you have friends who have raised money, if you have better yet, friends who've raised money at companies that kind of sorta of are like yours, who's on their cap table and will they introduce you? Um, if you have friends who know people who run companies who are sorta of like yours, and can you get to that person and figure out who is on their cap table? The cold reach outs, I think, very rarely work. It's gotta be a warm intro. And look, I recognize that can be tough. you know. If you didn't grow up in the business, how do you know the people to even give the warm intros? But it's network, network, network.
1: Totally. Yeah. No, again, it's what, one of the reasons why we started our Entrepreneursial League community so we can bring everyone together and people can network and connect and share intros. When we had first started Entrepreneursial League, I made an intro actually for another founder who was on our podcast, who was raising her Series A and made an intro for her. And that person ended up investing a million dollars in her Series A. So it's ha- building that network and valuing these you know, quality relationships, not just connections, like but building genuine relationships. It's important in life and in business, really in, in everything that we do. Sally, what is the craziest thing that has happened to you since starting this business?
0: There are many. But the one I'm going to share is uh, we had a brand name... Venture capitalist and his firm interested in investing in Elabest. And so this was the, one of the few times that I was invited to present at a partners meeting. I mean, typically you pitch the partner and he or she goes in the meeting and they pitch them, but this was come to the partners meeting. But I went to the partners meeting and was talking about how at the time we had the digital offering and we were going to add a private wealth offering with financial advisors. And the gentleman who ran the firm took the opportunity to explain to me what financial advisors are like and what the economics of the business are. Now, I should back up for a second because we didn't go through this. I ran Merrill Lynch and Smith Barney. I ran U.S. Trust and the City Private Bank. I have run more financial advisors, managed more financial advisors than maybe anybody but three other people on the planet. And he was mansplaining the business to me. And I still, to this day, Stephanie, I do not know if he wasn't listening when I was introduced. He didn't read my background in the deck. He kn- you know, no reason he would have heard of me, but, you know, except it's a small world, but fine. We didn't know who, you know, in other words, he didn't know who I was and didn't bother to listen. Or he did, and he actually still thought he knew more than me. Because the other craziest thing that's happened to me, I was just remembering this morning is, one of my old bosses, who pushed me out of of the job, um, I ran it, it, at the big Wall Street firms. I ran across him, and he began to explain the economics of S to me as well. So, those are the weird things.
2: And what is your typical response when this happens? That's
0: the thing, Courtney. You know, you sort of want to say, "You're kidding me," and stop it, and you know, "What are you doing? Don't patronize me." except, you know, you need the money. And so you do what every woman ever does, which is, oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. My gosh. Excellent. Excellent. Strong. What yet another strong point you're making. Thank you. Oh. And then you try to like also and say something and then he's like, no, 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 no. Back to me.
1: Do you go back later on once you've gotten that check? and yeah. no, <laughs> well, just, uh, just send him this no. podcast episode. And let him know. <laughs> you, tell else.
0: He, you know what? He wouldn't even recognize it if we did. He'd be like, who is that jerk? You know, <laughs> I, on the other hand. So there are mansplainers everywhere out there. You know, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you've done. They're out there. Yeah.
1: What do you do to just like keep going? Is it just, just staying focused on your vision and not letting any of that get to you? Look,
0: it's a, it's a recognition also of my privilege that I am so privileged to be in a position to do this. And I, we're simply changing women's lives. It money is, again, is their number one source of stress and investing and taking action on the money turns it into a source of strength. That's all there is to it. So when you, and we're the only ones, others have, Launched businesses that kind of sort of look like Alabaster, et cetera. But we are the one who made it through to being something. So we're all by ourselves on this most important issue. I mean, I'll I'll add to it. You know, we talk about wellness all the time. I'm sure many of your listeners are in the wellness business. We don't talk about financial wellness. But if you don't have financial wellness, the stress of it, you know, eats away at your physical wellness, your emotional wellness, your spiritual wellness. So. Financial wellness is foundational. So what drives me is I know how important it is. I know what a difference we're making. I know what a difference we can make and nobody else is doing this. So there's no alternative but success.
1: Well, Sally, I'll tell you our event next year, day of 2024, our Founders Weekend event, the whole theme is wealth and wellness for women and bringing it all together. So-
0: And I'm gonna be there, right? You are, you better be there. You better be there. (laughs) Okay, I
2: can't wait. You've done really incredible work for women. What are you most excited about looking ahead in the next few years for Elvis?
0: I don't know that we need any radical change. You know, it's, there are many directions we could go. I was actually telling one of our senior folks before this podcast, our challenge is we almost have too many options that we could take what we're doing and put it on third party platforms and make it available there. We could, you know, go heavier on the, you know, what we call top of funnel, and the the articles we're writing, and the you know, we could go heavier on backward integration. You know, into if there's so much we could do. You know, how do we make sure we're not doing too much, which you always do too much, and the things we're doing are actually the most impactful. We we can't go now down another banking rat hole. We need to stay very focused on the things that, you know, are most impactful for her that in turn, therefore grow the business.
1: Sally, we could chat with you all afternoon and I know we'll have more time to connect soon, but my final question for you today, what does being an entrepreneur mean to you?
0: Uh, It means having the opportunity to make a significant impact um, in a way that I didn't have at the big companies um, and to build something that is important and lasting and and hopefully life-changing for other women,
1: well, you're definitely doing it and we are so thrilled to be part of your journey and story and not just follow along with everything, but become customers and be part of the Alves the mission. We are so aligned. And I saw on your LinkedIn profile earlier today before we even started this recording you have on there, nothing bad happens when women make more money and we are so in agreement and so aligned. It is so true and the way we're all going to be able to do more, build bigger, better businesses make more impact in this world is for all of us to be able to make more money, invest more, have access to more money so we can be the, the change and all of the stereotypes and all of the things that you're sharing from the early days of your career, that will be a distant memory because we can make the impact and make the change thanks to what you're building. So thank you, Sally, for creating all you have. I love
0: what y'all are building and congratulations on it.
1: Um, and thank you for having me. Thank you, Sally. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenesia.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Hey, entrepreneurs! it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our entreprenesia league community of founders? Now is your chance. New member, open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneur, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurista League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at Entreprenista.com forward slash experience week. That's Entreprenista.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.